Folks, we are in the midst of a uh, series going through Galatians, and we've entitled the series Accepted, Experiencing Grace Day by Day. And it, Galatians, to me, is a really powerful letter because Paul, it's really an unusual letter. Most of his letters, he starts out after his greetings with a prayer of thanksgiving for the people that he is writing to. In this letter, he just gets right to the heart of the issue, and that is he's concerned that they are being deceived. It's not concerned. He flat out says to them, you're being deceived about the issue of salvation in your life. I think this is pretty significant because we think this is the earliest letter that Paul wrote. He wrote this just a few months after he was there starting that church in the Galatian area. And already they were being deceived concerning the whole issue of what it meant to be accepted with Christ, what salvation meant to their life. Because after he left, they had these folks who came up probably from Jerusalem who were well-meaning, but they were coming along and telling them that, yeah, you've got Jesus, but you need to keep the law now. You need to be circumcised in order to be truly accepted with God. And you say, well, George, we don't have that problem today. No, but we do have a lot of other problems that are very similar. When you think about the whole issue of grace and salvation in our lives, you do have folks who will come along, and in our church culture as it is, who will come along and say to you, well, you need to do this. You need to give. You need to serve. You need to vote the right way. That's a lot going on like that these days. And, and, and all of this in order for you to show that you are a good Christian. Well, the problem is, folks, that's a lie. That's deception. If you think that you need to maintain your devotional time in order to be accepted with God, you've been lied to. Your devotional time is for a purpose. It's not for your acceptance. Your acceptance exists because of what Jesus did for you. Period. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? You have time with God in the Word out of what He's done for you, not for it. And that's what's going on here. And we're actually going to see, because we've looked over the last few weeks, that Paul has shown us example upon example where he has brought this issue up. Now he's going to get to the heart of the matter. He's going to give us some teaching to help you to see it. To see what he's saying here. And that the issue is that when you got saved, you were freed from a life of living according to laws. You were freed to live by grace, by faith. Now the problem is, for most of us, we don't even know what that means. So for instance, I'll give you an example. 1985, April will be 30. Yeah, 35 years in April that I've been a believer. So in, in 1985, I was a freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina. Guy that was in one of my classes invited me to a Bible study. I was interested in God, and so I went with him, was introduced to Jesus and what the Christian life was, gave my life to Christ that evening after somebody encouraged me to read the Gospel of John that evening. Went home, asked my dad for a Bible. We didn't go to church. We had a Bible in the house. I read the Gospel of John that evening. Gave my life to Jesus. And then I was brought the next Sunday to a little independent Baptist church 
in West Columbia, South Carolina. And I was, people were encouraging me. They talked to me about baptism. But I'll be honest with you, nobody came alongside of me and talked to me about what life was supposed to be right now. I was supposed to figure that out on my own. Well, how do you figure that out on? Well, take a look at what everybody else is doing in the church. And so what I saw was, is, well, I need to dress in a suit on Sunday. I need to carry a certain Bible on Sunday. I need to have my hair a certain length. I need to quit listening to certain types of music. And the list goes on and on about what I was supposed to do and not supposed to do. Now, the problem was, none of that has anything to do with the Christian life. That is not what he wanted us to see there. In fact, what we're going to see today in the scripture is actually a whole lot more than I was ever taught back then. It took me at least 12, 13 years into my first pastorate before I ever realized it. What are you talking about, George? Well, let's look with me. It's going to be up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles this morning. But if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to start off in verse 17. He says this, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. All right, now here's what we're going to do, folks. I'm going to, I'm going to break down Paul's argument in these verses so that we understand it. Okay? I'm going to break it down. Actually, I'm going to break it down in two places. All right? So verses 17 and 18, Paul is dealing with a false accusation. I'm going to talk about that false accusation in a moment. Then when we come to verses 20, excuse me, 19, 20, and 21, we're going to talk about the new life. You may not even be aware that you, when you became a believer, were given a new life. And so we're going to talk about that in these verses. But let's first deal with the accusation. What's the accusation? Same old accusation that still exists today. What's that? When you have someone who communicates to you and comes along to you and says that your only acceptance with Jesus is faith in what he did. Now, does everybody understand that? Everybody here would recognize you can't do anything for your salvation. Would we all agree with that? Okay, we would all agree with that. Why are we saved? Because we have faith in one. Who's that? Jesus. Because he did everything on the cross for us, right? He paid the penalty for our sin. He took upon himself our sin. And when he was nailed to the cross and died there, he paid he was the propitiation. He satisfied the wrath of God that was directed towards us, but he took that upon himself so that we might have what, folks? Salvation. And then we, as God opened our minds and our hearts, accepted that by what? Faith. 
That's how you're saved, right? Everybody agree with that? Okay. But the problem is, is that when you go to church and you become a part of the church culture, somewhere along the line, you know you got saved by faith. But somehow we've come to the mindset that we've got to work to keep it or to keep his acceptance of us. That's what Paul's addressing here. And so when you have that mindset that you've got to work in order to do things to be a good Christian, when somebody comes alongside, comes up and says to you, no, 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 it's by grace, by faith alone, you don't need to do anything, he's done it all for you. The number one accusation that's presented, it was presented to Paul at this time, he also addresses it in the book of Romans, is, well, you're saying then that people can just go and do whatever they want to do then. Because they're forgiven. They have a license to sin. See, that's the accusation. The accusation is, is, well, you're just saying people can go do whatever they want to do. They don't have to worry about doing the right thing. So Paul addresses that here in verses 17 through 18. Look at what he says. I'll break it down for you in verse 17. Look at what he says. But if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. That's a very strong word, meganoita in the Greek. It very mentions no way possible. What's he saying here? He's saying we're not making excuses for sin. So two things I want you to see here. Number one, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. So right off the bat, he's going to deny, hey, you have forgiveness, you have acceptance, there's nothing you can do to gain that acceptance with Jesus, but that doesn't mean you can just go do whatever you want to do. In fact, he mentions the same issue, same accusation, over in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It'll be up on the screen for you there. Look what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Notice that same phrase there. Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer than therein? Isn't that interesting? Same accusation. This whole message that he's bringing to us of grace by faith. That's where your acceptance with God is. People will come along and say, well, no, yeah, you're saved, but you need to start living this way. You shouldn't go to this restaurant. You shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. Yeah, that's fine, but don't make that a requirement. Because what happens is, who can keep all the requirements? Before you know it, you find yourself defeated. Well, if you don't, then you're just saying people can do whatever they want. Paul says, no, I'm not telling you that. Grace is not a license to sin. Do you understand that? Nobody has a forgiveness card in their wallet that they can just whip out every time they sin and say, well, I'm forgiven. That's not the issue. Grace is not a license. In fact, he goes on, the second point he wants to make here is this. Effort for acceptance only proves that you're a sinner. Effort for acceptance only proves that you're a sinner. What are you talking about, George? Well, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to give you a common one that most Christians wrestle with. All right, so let me ask you a question out loud. I want everybody to raise their hand if you agree with this statement. 
Have you ever come to a place where you felt like the most important thing in your Christian life is to spend time with God in devotions reading God's word? Would you say you would agree with that? Raise your hand. Okay? All right. And you measure your life by that, right? You measure how you're doing with the Lord by whether or not you're spending time in the word, right? Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Okay. All right. Now let me ask you a question. Spending time with the Lord in his word is not a requirement for acceptance. It comes out of the acceptance. Now here's the problem though. If you view it as a requirement, I use the word requirement, but if you view it as a means for you to be okay with God, it's only going to prove one thing, that you're a sinner. Why? Because can you always be perfect in your time with the Lord? I heard somebody say it. No. In fact, have you ever noticed? You say, oh man, I just need to spend time with the Word. This year is a new year. Maybe you made this resolution. New year, I'm going to spend time with Jesus every morning. Every morning. First thing in the morning, I'm going to get up and spend time. Even before I do the coffee, I'm going to spend time with him. And you're doing okay till January 3rd. Because you were up late. Mom, if you have kids who are sick and, and you're like exhausted and so you get up at the last moment to get ready for the day and guess what you're missing doing is your devotion. Now, let's just move on. You're up to February and maybe you've had your devotions a handful of times first thing in the morning, but most of the time you're maybe even at the point where you don't even have it anymore and you are just feeling like, let's just call it, you're feeling like dirt. Because I'm not spending my time with Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus accepts you because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of you having your devotions. You not having your devotions like you think you should only proves that you are a what? A sinner. Which means what? You're going to fail. That's Paul's point here. Did you understand what I'm saying? Effort for acceptance only proves that you're a sinner. Do you understand? That's his whole point. Acceptance can't be based upon your effort. Acceptance can only be based upon what? Jesus. Do you understand? Do you see how that's freeing? Do you see how that's freeing? I mean, if you want to bring it down to even further so that you understand on a relationship basis, think about this. Think about a relationship, because we're talking about a relationship with the Lord, okay? Think about a human relationship. What kind of human relationship is it where you feel that you've got to, oh, i got to make sure that I give Lori 15 minutes a day for our relationship? And every day I come to her at 5 o'clock on the dot and spend 15 minutes talking with her. Then ignore her the rest of the time. Where are we going with that? She's going to figure out real quick, what's the deal with the 15 minutes? See, the relationship comes, my actions in the relationship come should come out of the relationship, Right? It's the same thing with our things that we do for God, right? Here's what I want you to see now. Paul's going to talk about 
a new life. See, when you got saved, he's already mentioned it in Romans when I read you that passage in Romans, you died to your old self. You died to the old way of doing things. What do you mean the old way of doing things? Well, let's be honest. When you were raised from a kid on up, somebody's always been telling you, in order for you to be rewarded, you need to do this. In order for you to be accepted, you need to do this. You got to do this for a grade. You got to do this for an award. You've been told all your life to do something. That's the human way, right? That's the human way. But when it comes to the relationship with God, he turns that upside down. Because you can't do anything for him. Tell me something. Do you really think that there is anything you can do to gain his favor? No, there's nothing. I mean, do you picture the Lord on his throne saying, Boy, I'm really impressed with George. He spent 31 minutes with me this morning. I mean, we, we look at that and say that's ridiculous, right? That's not the issue. It's something more than that. What is it? Look with me at verse 19 through 21. Look at what he says. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Folks, this passage is describing something years ago that the old-timers would call the faith life or the Christ life. Many different groups had different names for it. But they all were referring to a life of surrender, a life of giving yourself to the Lord and living for the Lord, letting the Lord live through you. And that's what he's describing here, a life of grace, a life of faith, which, I'll be honest with you, is lost for a lot of us in this generation. Because we view things in terms of what am I doing rather than who I am. And that's what it's talking about here. So I'm going to give you six points that come out of these three verses. Six points to help you to understand. And to help you to further understand it, we're going to focus on one verse next week, verse 20. We're going to devote one whole message to verse 20 next week. We're just going to refer to it briefly today. But I want to bring out six points. Here's the first one. Number one, the law exposes my need for salvation. That's the first thing he points out in verse 19. Look at what he says in verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to Christ. Through the law I died. Through the law I died. Through the law it exposes to me that I am what? Wrong. All right, because think about this for a moment. As a parent you get in trouble with this. As any kind of a leader, you get in trouble with this. When you make a rule for somebody else under you to follow, isn't it interesting that they always notice that you don't follow it yourself? When, when the kids were little, you could get away with it. When they got older and a teenager and started questioning things, they would say, well, yeah, that's great, Dad, but why don't you do that? 
Because the fact of the matter is, is no matter what law or rule we make, we can't keep it. I think it also has to do with the fact that we're sinners. And our bent is towards what? Breaking rules and laws, right? So what happens is, is through the law, this is the whole basis of the law, Paul explains that in much more extent in Romans, he explains to us that the law basically reveals what? It exposes my sin. It reveals that I need somebody else in my life for salvation, right? Right? And that's true of any kind of law, not just the law that we have in Scripture. That has to do with even like the speed limit here in Kerwinsville. It says 25. Folks, many of us take that just as a suggestion. But it's not, right? Well, you don't know how heavy my foot is, George. Yeah, I do. We all suffer from that. But why, why don't we keep to it? Because we're sinners. And the law exposes what? Our sin. This is the point he's making here. So, okay, the law exposes my sin. So notice now the second thing he says there again, coming out of verse 19, through salvation, you then become dead to the law. You become dead to the law. Romans chapter 6, again the same. Go down to verse 4. Therefore, he says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death just as Christ was raised from the dead even by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. Newness of life. What, what's he talking about there? Well, he's exposing the fact that when you and I got saved, we died to our old self. We died to the law. We died to the bondage of the law, which was always exposing our sin. But then when we got saved, we were raised to live in what? Newness of life. We were given a new life. Isn't that what we do when we baptize? Ever notice when I baptize, I say, buried in the likeness of his death, what? Raised to walk in newness of life? Newness of life? Next thing I want you to see is this. Your life changed when the old unsaved you died at the moment of salvation. See, this is what most people don't understand. So for me... It was by my bed in April of 1985, I think it was the third week on a Tuesday night, I read the Gospel of John that evening, found myself on my knees, I had enough understanding of the Gospel living in the South, you're in a Gospel-saturated world, that I, I gave my life to Jesus that night. Now here's what happened. That night, the old George died. The old George died. Now, next morning I got up, I still looked the same. You say, well, what do you mean you died? You're still living? Yes, no, no, but the old me, the old carnal me, the old me that was going to hell died. The old me that was in charge, the old me that was bent on sin, the old me that was chasing after sin, the old me that was sinning, died. The old me that was in bondage died. That moment that I got saved, 
I became a new person. Freed from the bondage of sin. See, think about when you got saved. That moment that you came to repentance where you acknowledged him for who he is and you decided to give your life to follow him. The older you died. It's a new you now. Now you can't see it in the mirror. And the old, and you're still inhabiting the body that the old you inhabited, which is trained in sin. That's why Paul calls it the issue of flesh in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. But the, your life changed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Your life changed. So that's what he's saying here. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, for I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with him. Now notice with me the next thing he's going to point out here. Your life became new as Christ lives in you. What do you mean Christ lives within me? Well, we know that the moment you got saved, who entered into your life, folks? Yeah, the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, that I say the moment, I, that's almost too long. The instant that you got saved, the Spirit of God indwelt you. Do you understand? Moment, that's a little bit longer than you say it's only 60 seconds. I'm saying it's even quicker than that. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, the second, the instant that you gave your life to Jesus, he entered into your life and he gave you a new life. You became new. How do I know that? He tells you in different places now that you are what? A new creature in Christ. You are a new creation. It's a new you. And let me tell you one of the things that's amazing about the new you. You're no longer bound to sin. The power of sin no longer controls you. You say, but yeah, but I still sin. Yeah, but you allow yourself to sin. You allow yourself to give in to the temptations. You and I allow ourselves to do that. But the power is broken so that now we can say what to it? No. I don't have to do this. I can live for him. Because, look, before... When it was the old you, you felt that you had to appease God. You had to do stuff for God. You could never do anything for him, right? But now that you've been freed, and there's a new you, you do what you do out of the relationship with him, not for it. Did you understand what I'm saying? Not for it. Not for it. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Comes out of verse 20 as well. Look at what he says. I think this is an amazing thing. This is what's missing for most of us. It is I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All right, so that's what we just talked about. But notice what he says. And the life I now live in the flesh. Okay, now we understand that phrase. That's basically you going about life right now, right? All of us are going about life right now, inhabiting this body of bones and flesh, right? The life I now live in the flesh, Paul says. Look at how he's living it. And this is where a lot of us are missing it. Look at what he says, verse 20. 
The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's living it by what? Faith. Faith. Here's the point I want you to see. The new life is living by faith in Jesus Christ who loved and died for you. Who loved and died for you. That's the new life. The new life is getting up in the morning, not deciding, well, you know, in order for me to get on the right track with you, Lord, to make sure my day goes right, I need to make sure I have my devotions with you, and I need to make sure that I listen to that Christian radio station, and and, and Lord, I need to do this. No, no, no. Now you get up in the morning when you live by faith and you say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for another day. Help me to live this day the way you want me to live it for you. Out of love for you. Help me live by faith. And see, that begins to change your attitudes about things. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. The other day, um, Madison called me or some some kind of thing working out with her bill at Dallas Theological Seminary and uh, that you know they, she was getting this scholarship and they weren't going to give her the full amount and she was working through the whole details of that and dad heard about it okay so dad I'm dad I said I'll call him tomorrow I'll take care of it and Lori and her said, no, don't do that. But I'm dad. I want to take care of my daughter, right? You know, I'm dad. I'll take care of it. Lori, who has more sense than I do, said, no, 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 don't do that, George. Madison said, don't do it, dad. And this is right before I go to bed at 930. And I said, all right, I won't do it. I'll go to bed. Go up the stairs grumbling, Okay. But what as I'm grumbling, I'm praying, and I'm saying, Lord, I could take care of this. But I know you can do a better job. I probably would just make a bigger mess of it. Okay, Lord, you'll have to handle this one. I'm having faith in you. Get up the next morning, come to the office. Maddie sends me a message. It's all worked out, Dad. They're going to give me all that money. It's no problem, and they're going to take... And here's what I said. Thank you, Jesus. Because if I had done it, put my faith in me, I probably would have made a bigger problem for her. I know I would have. But I trusted in who to do it. That's living by faith. I'm putting my trust in who? The one who saved me. But see, there's so many other different areas in your life where you live by faith. In him, the ultimate faith that you have in him is what? That he loves and accepts you, even when you're going through it. Because especially when you're going through it, that's when your faith is wrestling, right? The new life is living by faith in Jesus Christ who loved and died for you. So then that brings us, here's the point, that brings us now down to verse 21. 
Look at what he says in verse 21, and I'll help you to understand, because it seems like an odd phrase, but I want you to notice what he says. If I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Here's what he's saying. Here's the point. Effort for acceptance with God makes Jesus' death meaningless. So my efforts to, quote, gain acceptance with God They make Jesus' death meaningless because, number one, notice something, it's only his death that gives me acceptance with God, right? So here, let me set you free, okay? Number one, don't walk away from here and say, well, George is saying I shouldn't do my devotion. George is saying I shouldn't spend time in the Word. No. You need to spend time in the Word. Scripture very clearly says it's the Word that renews your mind. It's the word that helps you to deepen your relationship. It's the word through which God speaks to you, right? Okay, understand that. However, but if your thinking is such that I need to read the word in, in order for have a good day with the Lord and make sure nothing else goes wrong, you're in a trap and you just made the death of Christ meaningless in your life. Why? Because your acceptance with God and his favor to you and his blessing on your life has nothing to do with whether or not you open up Galatians in the morning. It has to do with what Jesus did for you. And if you're in this mindset that says, well, I need to be sure that I come to church. Folks, coming to church doesn't gain you acceptance with God. Now, I didn't just give you an excuse not to be here. You come here to interact with God's people and encourage each other unto good works. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 10 says? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are prone to do, but what? To stir each other on to what? Love and good works? See, we've got it reversed. We do stuff to gain acceptance with him. Paul's saying, no, 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 that's a lie. You're being deceived. The stuff we do needs to come out of what? The relationship we have with him. The love that he's shown us. And we can live that life by faith. By faith. Do you understand? By faith. Say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Let me give you two quick points because we're at the end of our time. Number one, you need to change your perspective on living for Jesus Christ. You need to change your perspective. Some of you, you're living for the Lord in order for the Lord to show favor to you. I mean, we don't even say things like this. I'm guilty of this. Well, do the right thing. The Lord will honor you later. You ever said something like that? Do the right thing. You may not work out well in this situation, but the God will honor you later. That is, I'll admit I've said that, that's so wrong. God's going to honor you, period. Whether you do the right thing or not, that's not the reason for doing the right thing. You do the right thing because Jesus died for you. Not in order to gain his favor, did you understand what I'm saying? You do the right thing in your marriage because you're married. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you have a relationship with your spouse. You should do the right thing. 
So you need to change your perspective on living for Jesus Christ. Number two, recognize that grace enables you to live by faith. It's his grace that allows you to trust him. Do you understand? It's his grace. What's grace? Again, the theological word is unmerited favor. George Cannon is getting what you don't deserve. That's my definition. And when you and I get grace in our life that we don't deserve, that then should motivate you to what? Live by faith in the one who's shown you the grace. Because if he could love you and save you in spite of you, period, you can trust him, right? To help you to live the way that he wants you to live. Folks, it's time to start living by faith. Now, here's what we're going to do next week. Next week, we're going to spend more time on verse 20, dissecting it a little bit more and helping you to understand exactly what that means for you and I before we progress on in Galatians. Because there's so much here in Galatians that talks about experiencing grace day by day. And I pray that God would speak to your hearts about it. Let's pray.